Heaven is like a treasure, buried in a field. And when you find this treasure... This woman, caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say, teacher? They're baiting him. It's a trap. I was told you preach according to the law of Moses. Do you have an answer, Nazarene? Well, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. story. Some Bibles do not include it because it's not in all of the manuscripts, but we do not have the earliest manuscript. It is part of the Textus Receptus from which the King James Version, New King James Version was made, and some of the manuscripts that don't have it actually have a gap where it could fit. And so I believe the early church fathers were wise for including this in the Textus Receptus, and Jerome said it was in earlier manuscripts. Today we're tackling chapter 8, but I really want to make sure we finish chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the Festival of Tabernacles. It's an eight-day celebration where Jewish people celebrate their freedom from slavery and their time in the wilderness when they lived in temporary dwellings. And they go up out in their backyards and up on their rooftops and erect shelters and the men and boys, the women and children didn't have to stay there, but they could if they wanted to, would camp out for a week. And for eight days, it was a joyous celebration. They had a giant lamp stand that we'll talk about on another Sunday that they would set up. And the priests, every day during those eight days, would carry a golden pitcher of water. Over 400 people were involved in this. A golden pitcher of water each day from the Pool of Siloam. They would carry it to the temple and pour it out at the base of the altar. 
and it was to celebrate the fulfillment of Ezekiel 47, where God said a river would flow out of the temple, out from under the threshold, and would flow to the east and flow to the west and become a river that would bring healing to the nations. And we believe the fulfillment of that is Jesus, and it's wonderful to see him here in John 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast. On this day, they did a double portion of water poured out at the base of the altar. And he said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is Ezekiel 47, which was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost and is continuing to be fulfilled today. The kingdom of God is a river in which his spirit and his word flows because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the promises of God being fulfilled in him and being fulfilled in us. Verse 40 says, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. This is, this is the prophet we've been looking for. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses prophesied that a prophet is coming. He would be like him who would speak words that needed to be taken seriously. And, of course, we believe that this was Jesus, and they began to see him as that. Others said this is the Christ or the Messiah, the one that was anointed to be special to bring salvation to the world. Other prophecies pointed to that. But some said, the last part of verse 41, Will Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was division among the people because of them, but some of them wanted to take him. No one laid hands on him. Now, through his natural family, he was a descendant of King David, and his birthplace was Bethlehem. They didn't know that. We know that because we got inside information, right? Verse 45, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? Back in verse 32, they sent a delegation of temple guard to go and arrest Jesus. And he basically said, Hold on, I'm just here a little while longer, and then I'm going to leave. And where I go, you're not gonna, nobody's even going to be able to find me. So they're like, Oh, okay, you're going to leave, and we're not going to find you. Okay, we'll let you go. So, so they let him off, and they came back, and they said, Why have you not brought him? Verse 46, the officers answered, no one, no man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees, that is those religious delegates and authorities who hated Jesus but loved their tradition, answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? They didn't know that one of their own, Nicodemus, was beginning to believe in him. Remember what happened in John chapter 3. But this crowd, verse 49, does not know the law and is accursed. They were a bunch of lawyers. They knew the law. Everybody else is inferior to us. Verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, remember he snuck to see him, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? In other words, he's trying to slow them down from doing this kangaroo court thing and arresting Jesus. Hey, let's hear him out. Let's see if what we're thinking is true. To be lawful with this thing, a man has a right to testify. Verse 52, they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Well, they didn't know the word as much as they thought they knew the word. 
because Jonah was a prophet, right? And he came from the land of Zebulon, which is part of the region of Galilee. It's a beautiful thing to me because Jesus compares himself to Jonah. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. And, of course, we know that as Jonah came out of the whale, he began to proclaim truth to the people he was assigned to. So did Christ. When he resurrected, he proclaimed truth before he left for 40 days. So they didn't know what they were talking about. A prophet did come from Galilee, and so did Jesus. But, of course, he originated in Bethlehem, and before that he originated in the throne of glory. Verse 53, everyone went to his own house. I guess they just gave up and just went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He didn't run off. He just left the town of Jerusalem, went through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane was, where he would pray. Verse 2, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. So he leaves the Mount of Olives, goes back into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So I don't know if he's sitting on the steps or what, but it's believed by some that he was teaching in the court of women. The temple was divided into courts where different people could go to different places, and they were limited where they could go. Gentiles could only go to one area and nowhere else, and that's where they set up their selling of animals. Remember when Jesus cleaned house two different times? And here he is teaching the court of women who weren't allowed where men were allowed to go. And he's teaching truth. And then there comes a rude interruption. Verse 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now up to this point, Pharisees have been harassing him. Now they bring the scribes. They're the guys that write things down. I guess they're wanting to document this thing. Because they set a trap for him. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, verse 4, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Now this was a trap, trying to trick Jesus, trying to get him in trouble, trying to have him hauled off by the Romans or trying to have him left alone by people that were listening to him. It was a trick question, similar to who, do we, who should we pay taxes to, to God or to Caesar? If he said to Caesar, the Jews would have been upset and stopped listening to him. If he said to God and not Caesar, then they could report him to the Roman police and he'd be arrested and put in jail for insurrection. At that point, he very wisely said, show me a coin. They showed him a coin. He said, whose face is on it? They said, Caesar's. He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Brilliant. Shut him down. Here again, we see brilliance at work. They're setting him up. The Romans had removed the right of execution from the Jews. This was a crime in the eyes of God that the Romans didn't want people being killed for. And so any Jew that executed another one for certain crimes could be executed themselves or at least put in jail for it. If Jesus said, yes, the law of Moses should be obeyed, she should be stoned, then they could report him to the Roman authorities and he could be arrested and no longer be an influence. If he said, no, we've got to abide by what the Romans say, then his, the people listening to him might run off and leave him because he has dissed Moses. You see the setup? So they think they have a perfect setup. But Jesus is Lord, and he is in command 
of every situation. How many love the Lord? He's in command of every single situation. He doesn't let them push him around or rush him. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love that. He just ignores him and stoops down. So he's already sitting down. And now he stoops down. And they sat in front of him, this woman. So he stoops down to her level and begins to write with his finger. What is he writing? In the video you saw, they have him drawing the symbol of the fish, the Christian symbol of the fish. The Greek word for fish is the, is the fish is the word ichthus, which was an acrostic for early believers, iota, ki, theta, upsilon, sigma, which stood for Jesus, Christ, Son of God, Savior. And if Christians met one another on the beach, one could do the symbol of a fish with his toe and let the other person know he's a believer. If that person wasn't a believer, they wouldn't know. They just think he's squibbling with his toes. And it was a way they were protected from, from uh, persecution, but also able to fellowship when they met somebody that understood what the fish meant. I don't think that he was doing that, but I thought that was cool. He could have been just doodling, killing time, you know, disarming the situation. When people are angry and upset and excited, if they'll just slow down, they'll be less likely to do something stupid. There's an amazing book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. Steve Joy gave it to me. And the first half of the book is on the amazing ability we have to make quick decisions. But the second half of the book is on the need with certain decisions to slow down. And they shared several things from current history If people would just slow down, they could have avoided a disaster. If the police would have just caught their breath, they may not have killed the guy that was innocent. Just slowing down. So maybe he was killing time, slowing down the situation, or maybe he was waiting on the Father. He had said, there's nothing I do that I don't see the Father do, and there's nothing I say I don't hear the Father saying. He's waiting on the Father, maybe. Maybe he's just... Doing something that had happened earlier in the Bible. You know, a hand appeared in the court of Belshazzar and wrote on the wall, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Maybe he wrote that. You know, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. Maybe he wrote out the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. He hit them all between the eyes. Maybe he wrote the names of their girlfriends or some sin they committed. Or maybe he wrote their names down. Who knows what he wrote? I don't know what he wrote, but I think I know what he was doing. He was redeeming the situation. He was redeeming the woman. On this journey through John that we're calling Jesus is, today we're entitling this, Jesus is redeeming. Can we say that? Jesus is redeeming. He's a redeeming character. He's a redeeming person. Let's read the rest of this story. He was writing with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, they just kept asking them. He raised himself up and said to them, I cannot imagine how they felt when they heard these words. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And the Jewish culture, in a stoning, the first person to throw the stone was the Eyewitness. Nobody could be convicted of a capital offense without at least two eyewitnesses. So the two eyewitnesses were the first ones to throw stones. And the reason for this is 
Some people will lie, but they don't want to kill. And if they lied and somebody else threw the stone first that started the killing, they may not feel as guilty for lying. And so it, it helped, in their minds anyway, it helped prevent lying in capital offense type trials. Well, Christ doesn't pull that one. He says, he who is without sin, throw a stone in it first. The law of death for adultery said this, let the adulterer and the adulteress be put to death. Doesn't say anything all about stoning. They said they caught her in the very act. Now you cannot commit adultery by yourself. There's somebody else. There's a question here. Where's the man? We have the adulteress. Where is the adulterer? Somebody has sinned. Somebody has shown partiality. Somebody has played favorites. Somebody let their son or their nephew go. Somebody took a bribe. Maybe they had set a trap for the lady to begin with. Somebody sinned in this whole thing. And Jesus just makes a statement that probes their hearts. He is without sin. Be the first one to throw a stone at her. I don't know if they had rocks in her hands. This happened in the court of women in the temple. But I love the video anyway. You hear the rocks falling, thud, thud, thud. Now this story doesn't mean not to confront someone that's in sin. But it certainly means don't kill somebody that's sinned. So this story has been twisted and manipulated by manipulative people that when you confront them about an issue of sin, They'll quote, he's without sin, cast the first stone. Don't be throwing stones at me. You're not throwing stones. You're just confronting. You see what I mean? That doesn't hold, that dog don't hunt. That bucket doesn't hold water. He who's without sin be the first one to start the killing. They all left her. Now she's a mess. She's terrified. She's in a heap, probably covered up with her clothing the blanket, or whatever she had. Christ asked her a question. Woman, where are those accusers? She looked up, and they were all gone. Christ had redeemed the situation for her. Does he ever redeem situations for you? You ever sowed a seed that was going to bring you a harvest of ruin? And God, in his mercy, brought some crop failure. The word redeems means to make something acceptable or pleasant in spite of its negative qualities or aspects. To restore reputation. If you have an old junk car and you restore it, you're redeeming that car. If your reputation's been wrecked and God restores it, he's redeeming you. The word redeem means to buy something back. If you need to make a quick loan and you run down to a pawn shop and turn in your best guitar and get a hundred dollars and you go back within the limited time and give them a hundred and twenty. I mean, what's the interest rate at a pawn shop? It's pretty high. You get your guitar back. You have redeemed it. You bought back that which was yours. He's redeemed us. We sold ourselves to sin. 
But Jesus on the cross paid the price to buy us back. It means to pay something off. When you pay your car off, you've redeemed it. It's now yours. We've been redeemed. We're now his. He claims us. To pay for sin, to fulfill a promise, is to redeem. Remember green stamps? S&H trading stamps? Showing my age here. You go to a grocery store, instead of, you know, giving them your phone number or flashing that little key tag, you made a purchase, they would give you stamps. You could accumulate them and fill a stamp book and then go to a redemption center where they had various items you could purchase with these stamps. You redeemed your stamps. You, you fulfilled the promise that those stamps promised you when you made that purchase. So it is with Christ. He has redeemed us, fulfilling his promise. Synonyms for the redeemed mean to exchange, to convert, to transfer, to buy back, to make amends for. If you have a damaged relationship and you go and humble yourself and attempt to make restitution, you're making amends. You're redeeming the relationship. To save, to release, to liberate, to free, to emancipate, to deliver, to rescue, to redress, to make things right. This is redemption. Can we say the word redemption? This is what Christ is doing with this woman. This may be more like what it looked like. It was on the temple floor. In the days of horse-drawn and donkey transportation, that floor could get nasty. And there she is, huddled down. He's already sitting down. He stoops down and touches the dirt. He goes lower than her, I believe. It's what he did for us. He became one of us. And yet he humbled himself. He became a servant. And yet he humbled himself even more. He became sin for us. If you're digging something out of the dirt, the shovel's got to go in lower than the dirt, right? To scoop it up, he became one of us and died as us. The death of a criminal. Injustice to bring justice. To redeem us. This is what he's doing for this dear woman. Rescues her with the wisdom of his words. The power of his omniscient intelligence as God set her free from an ugly situation. Nothing's changed much in culture. Sins like this often cause the most pain for a woman than a guy. Girl gets pregnant, where's the guy? There's a venereal disease, a girl's for sure to be the one that gets it. It's like that. But Jesus redeems the situation. He restores us. He makes irresponsible men godly men. And irresponsible women holy women. He redeems every situation. In this story... There's two questions and two answers. He asked her, where are your accusers? She looked up and they're all gone. He asked her, has no one condemned you? Nobody's there. There's no eyewitnesses. She said, no one. 
He said, neither do I condemn you. In John 3, he told Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn. The law of Moses, the Old Testament, condemns us. The soul that sins must die. Sins must be paid for. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. That's already in place. So Moses is the witness that condemns us. The Ten Commandments, if you read them and study them, we've broken them all. Jesus came and made those commandments a matter of the heart. said if you hate someone, there's a murder going on. And so he came to redeem a condemned people. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That line is in two parts. Go and sin no more. He tells her to go. She's free to go. She's free to go and sin again. She's free to make a mess of her life. She's free. She's free to get stoned later. That's the way redemption works. It's unconditional. Not based on your past or your future. It is what it is. My love, you're forgiven. But don't stop there. We want the whole counsel of God. He said, sin no more. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul wrote? God forbid, how shall we who died to sin continue to be in it? Grace is so good that he had to write that. It's undeserved favor. God does not shame us. The law shames us. But the Lord help us as the body of Christ to stand on the side of Jesus and not Moses. Because if we stand on the side of Moses, we are all doomed. Go and sin no more. If we go and sin some more, a worse thing may come upon us. When he healed the blind man later on in the book, they said, Lord, was this sickness because of someone who sinned, his parents or him? He said, no, but that the glory of God may be shown. And he healed him. But in chapter 5, he healed that man that had been sick at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. The next time he saw him, he says, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. So sin can make you sick. Not always, but it can make you sick. And sin can wreck your life. And sin can rob you of your potential. And sin can leave you scarred. But wherever you are in that process, the truth still stands. He redeems if you'll let him. Sin will cost us more than we want to pay, keep us longer than we want to stay, and take us further than we planned on going. If I just yield to this one temptation, just one more time, and then I'll quit, that's the lie of the devil. Because what happens? It just comes right back again, just one more time. The enemy's not very creative. It's the same trick over and over. He's relentless. It's his greatest strength is relentlessness. So the temptation that worked last week, You'll see if it'll work next week. To weaken you and I. To make us think, oh, I thought I had the victory. It must not have worked. No, it worked. The same weapon that won that battle will win this one. Be just as relentless. Be more relentless. Go and sin no more. I go because he's freed me, even though I don't deserve it. And I sin no more because he's helping me. Helping me. May God help us not to use the sins of others to justify our own. And that's what these clowns had done. 
They looked down their long religious noses at this lady, knowing they had sin in their life, but they weren't as bad as her. A few weeks ago, I went to see my parents in Atlanta, Georgia, on the Megabus. It was cheap, $47 from here to Atlanta. It goes through Memphis. There's a four-hour layover, so I got off the bus waiting on the next one, rode the streetcar down to Beale Street, had some food, listened to some good music, got back on it, went on to Atlanta. Twenty hours later, I'm in Atlanta in my dad's car. Sat on the second floor right by the windshield. It was fun. On the way back, I sat with some people around me, and they had a conversation going on about homosexuality and Christianity. And it wasn't long before they found out I was a preacher. And so they wanted to ask my opinion. And one of them who was a truck driver on vacation, the most verbal of the group, asked me a question. And he said, preacher, what do you think? I said, what are you talking about? He said, homosexuals in the church, do they need to be leading the choir and preaching and pastoring churches? And I noticed there was a man sitting closest to me that was quiet during this whole thing. And I thought, Lord, what if he struggles with the temptation of homosexual sin. I'm not going to join in with this where he feels beat up. I'm going to broaden the scope of the sin problem in the church. I said, well, actually, homosexuality is a form of fornication. Fornication is sexual sin outside of marriage. So if you're fornicating, you're in the same camp with homosexuality. So I said, fornication in the church as a lifestyle is a problem. He says, we're not talking about fornication. We're talking about the gays. I said, okay. He said, we are all fornicators here. We want to talk about those gays. And I paused. Nobody corrected him. He didn't want to talk to me much anymore. A little while later, we passed a strip club. Yes, buses go down the road just like everybody else. He said, there's the hoe stove. He wasn't joking. He was a fornicator. But he sure wanted to beat up on those gays. That's the way we are. We want to beat up on somebody that's down to take the spotlight off of us. We all need a redeemer to redeem us, to tell us to go and sin no more. I didn't argue with him. I stated the truth. And one lady said, Pastor, what if you keep repenting of the same thing over and over again and keep falling into the same temptation? And I knew she was talking about fornicating. I said, well, it's probably because because you're not repenting of the root issue. She said, what do you mean by that? I said, what causes us to sin often isn't the sin, but it's something else. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an unhealed hurt. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you believe a lie. Let God search your heart. The shovel of truth will set you free. The promise is we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. I said the sin often is the fruit. We got to find the root. And then I let it go because this other guy is still real quiet. That was an interesting time. Jesus is redeeming. He'll redeem you of every situation. If you feel hopeless, it's a lie. 
If you think you're doomed, is a lie. If people tell you you're doomed, you better be careful. That is judging, the kind of judging you don't want to do. To tell people they're doomed and condemn them, that is demonic and dangerous because it will come back on you. It will. It will. Pastor Shake is going to come and sing a song that I love with all my heart. Let it minister, minister life to you. So I'll wipe away 
This is not some wind of doctrine. This is the gospel. This is the foundation of the church. This is why we are here. Redemption is in the old songs. Songs like Love Lifted Me. It says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. At the cross says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Another old song says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I was meditating upon our redemption. You all know I preach it a lot because I've been redeemed. Both of our children during the course of their lives were in situations where they needed redemption. And I'm glad to say He redeemed them and they know Him as their Redeemer. We all have to come to that place where we know Him as our Redeemer. If someone's at that place, don't condemn them. Help them get to know their Redeemer. Because He redeems every situation. So thinking about redemption, I thought, I'm going to work my way through the alphabet. Because you all have heard me say, He turns every message into a message. And every test into a testimony. I thought, I wonder if I can go through the alphabet. The fros and twos of redemption. From this to that. From that to this. He redeems us from the awfulness of sin to the awesomeness of Him. The beggarly elements of this world to the beautiful elements of His world. Crises caused by us. Christ caused for others. He redeems us from defeated despair to dynamic dominion. He redeems us from the effects of our sinful sowing to the effects of His mercy already sown. He redeems us from being fooled by our flesh to being formed by His Spirit. He redeems us from our gory details to His glorious destiny. He redeems us from the horror of hell to the holiness of heaven. 
He's redeemed me from ignorant blindness to eyes that see. From judgment made to justice served. From the killing of our potential to his kindness now appreciated. From the love of the world that hurts us to the love of God that heals us. He redeems us from a mess, our mess, to a message, his message. He redeems us from having no hope and no peace to new hope and knowing peace. He redeems us from the old ways of guilt and destruction to the one way of guilt-free blessings. He redeems us from the pain of regret to the payment of redemption. Are you thankful for what He did on the cross? He redeems us from quivering weakness to quickening power. From being really wrong to being really right with God. He redeems us from having a shame name to a new name written down in glory in the name of the one who bore our shame. He redeems us from the test we fail to the testimony we tell. He redeems us from an ugly past to an ultimate future, from victimization to victorious vision, from worry to worship, from exchanging the excrements of our wickedness for the excellencies of His righteousness. From youthful lusts to yielded trust. From the zoo of our sin's consequences to zeal for Christ and His freedom. I am redeemed. He takes off our heavy chains Gives us all his new name. I am set free.